I'm excited today as we're going through this um, building a faith that long outlives us. And like I taught last week, this is going to be probably one of the more uh, teaching moments that I've ever done because I want to get this across to you in a, in a way that we understand it because I may challenge some of your all's perspectives on salvation even today. So bear with me and, and let's lean in together to the Word of God. Um, Let's, let's do this because I want us to really dig into the Word. Let's pray before we go in and ask God to be the God of the Bible and, and enlighten us to what He has to say. God, I love you. I thank you. Help me get out of the way today and let the teaching of the Word go forth in a way that challenges us, convicts us, and maybe even changes us into more of the image of God that we're supposed to be. God, I trust that your Word will do what it's sent to do, and it will not come back void. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. So we've been talking about this word faith, and we've been looking at it as a more nuanced word than what we kind of typically do. You can go on to the next slide, Caleb, it's fine. Then we typically do go on to the next one. We'll figure that out and talk about that later. Then we typically do with faith as just like, I have faith in something. I have faith in something. Like, I believe in it. I, 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 I hope in it. I've put confidence in it. But we're talking about it as this incredible uh, more complex situation and issue than what we tend to think about in church. And we've built up on it five different blocks here. And if you go to the next slide, we'll show you. Five different blocks that we've talked about faith being comprised of belief, trust, obedience, action, and risk. And today we're going to look at this word allegiance. And it's more of a patriarchal word. It's more of a, um, it's more of a political word. It's more of a kingdom word. Word. So I want us to put ourselves back into these times where they didn't live in a democracy the way we do today. They lived in a kingship. They lived in a kingdom. They lived some, and we're going to look at what was called the feudalist state here in just a minute. Some of you are like, man, we're going history here, right? I was like, well, a little bit because I want us to understand. Because if you don't read the Bible and understand the context and the timing and the era, then you're missing out on a lot of what the Bible is actually teaching us. If we just take, simply take the Bible and try to put it into modern time, we'll miss out on the, some really awesome truths and some really awesome lessons that he was trying to teach us back then. And so we look at this word faith, and we we're looking at this word allegiance. Uh, we think about it with, uh, I almost made the sermon, of, the title of my sermon, I Pledge Allegiance, but I, you know, I didn't want to get into everyone when I was standing up and putting their hand on We'll do that later, maybe. But what, I, what it is, it is a, a, an act of consistent, constant loyalty to someone or something. And so the way it was set up back then in the Greek Empire, or Roman Empire, which is what these people are under right now, Roman Empire, if you were not born a Roman citizen, if you were not born a Roman citizen by birth, but you wanted to become a Roman by national, like you could come in and be a part of their civilization, you had to completely, completely denounce your past allegiance to who you were born to, the culture, the time, the people, and devote yourself completely to the Roman Empire. You could not have it both ways. You couldn't be living as a Roman citizen, but acting under your old ways. It just wasn't, they wouldn't allow it. In fact, it was punishable by death. If you came in and swore allegiance to the Roman Empire and then acted and lived under some other type of guidelines and uh, rules, 
Now, what we often forget about in, in Christianity is what happened when Jesus died and was resurrected and he went to heaven. Where is he now? Sitting on a, who? A throne. He is enthroned. And sometimes we overlook the enthronement of Jesus as king of kings, right? And that's what they call him, right? King of kings, Lord of lords. And if you were to go back into the medieval uh, times, they, they operated under what is called a feudalist state. And what would happen is there would be lords over different areas and, and regions And if you wanted to live in that region, you had to present yourself to the Lord and pledge what is called your fealty. I don't know if anybody has ever watched any type of medieval type things, but you would come in and it would require you to bow the knee, make a pledge in front of everybody. They didn't do it in secret. Now, this is where we're going to get really good here. They did not do this in secret. The Lord did not bring them into a hut and say, okay, you do it right here where no one's around, and that's, that's how we'll do this. They called the entire region to what was either a once a year or on special occasions, more than that, of a celebration of people coming in under the subjugation of that Lord. And in front of everybody, they had to bow the knee, Pledge out loud that you are my Lord and all of my life I will live for you. I will raise crops to better your lordship. I will produce things to increase your wealth. I will contribute to your health. All of these things. I will protect your region. All of those things. And that's what it would take. But in return, the Lord of the region would give them a parsonage, a piece of land in an area in which they could contribute to the entire region. And why am I saying that? It's because I believe that that part of pledging your allegiance to the Lord and undying loyalty is missing in the kingdom of God. We often just have faith in Jesus I believe in Jesus. I trust in Jesus. I know he exists and I believe that he is Lord of all. But when it comes to actually pledging your, bowing the knee, pledging your allegiance and living your life holistically for the betterment of that kingdom, I question if we really live like that. And here's what we're going to go to. There, there was a little bit, how many knows that tension in the kingdom is not always bad? And you're all like, well, wait a minute. We'll talk about unity. Unity, but not uniformity. There's sometimes that it takes an old timey Southern gospel man of God to balance out a young uh, up and coming whippersnapper, if we would, if y'all like those terminologies, I kind of do. It feels like that's, yes, I'm talking about you, dad. He looked around like, I'm not old. Well, you're not. That's true. You're just more mature. But it takes, yeah, <laughs> but it takes the tension of the two to help us walk in balance and present a better, more complete gospel. His way is not my way. My way is not his ways, but both of our ways are God's ways. How many, amen? Oh, that was better than that was. I actually like the way that was said. His way is not my way. My way is not his ways, but yet both ways are God's ways. And if, 
And if we can learn to walk with the tension instead of departing from one another simply because there's not a cohesive, unanimous agreement on everything, then we're going to miss out on how we show the world that we can walk sometimes in tension, but hand in hand. Amen? And so, and so here is a, a perfect example of even pre-boom uh, uh, of Christianity back when the church was getting started. I want to show you an example of a tension between two major role players in the building of the first launching of the church back when it first started. Uh, Paul, we would all agree, was an incredible man of God. Amen? But Paul writes a lot about faith. Faith alone, through faith alone. What do we say? By grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? That's how salvation is won, right? But here is, here is where there's a tension between these two people. One, Paul, great man of God, apostle, was suffered, beaten, all these things for the kingdom and glory of God, in prison, wrote third, a third of the New Testament, great man. Then you have over here, James, the brother of Jesus, and they write, it's funny, I'm going to quote, uh, we've been reading in Hebrews, right? That's Paul. The very next book right after Hebrews is James. And within the first two chapters, you run into a wall that maybe feels and makes you think, ah, this doesn't line up with what I just read. Because here is what James says, Caleb, if you want to go on to the next passage, next, yep, boom, there it is. I already got it up there for you. James chapter 2, verse 14, we'll start there, and we're going to read through this. He said, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And that is where I kind of stopped for just a moment when I was reading this, Sister Ruth. And I was like, well, wait a, long, wait a minute. If I have faith in Christ alone, that he was the first begotten of the Lord, and that he came to earth, dwelt among men, was crucified for my sins, buried, resurrected, and is now seated at the right hand of fire. If I have faith in that, then that should that that guarantees me salvation. But but here is a tension that Paul uh, and James have with one another. Paul's coming on the heels of this book and he says, now wait a minute. If a person says that he has faith, but yet he doesn't have works, is that faith now saving faith? Does that faith alone uh, save him? And he does a beautiful job in answering the question for you. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by itself, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now that right there should really begin to um, percolate some thought inside of your head. Like, well, wait a minute. Okay. How do I balance grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone and the word faith that we've kind of developed in the Christian world is just simply believing in God and trusting in God that he is God, that that's safe, saving faith. But then James is like, well, wait a second. Is it really? Is it really? And some of y'all are looking at me like my dad used to say all the time in the sermons. Some of y'all are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. 
one, I still, a lot of times I say stuff my dad says that I don't know what it means just because it sounds good, okay? And it's often that way with the Bible sometimes. Like, I'll just quote things, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just trusting that the one who said it knew what it meant, all right? I may not always know what it means, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that he did. So I'm trusting my dad knows what it means when he said that because I feel like some of y'all are looking at me because y'all are like, man, I do know faith. That's how I got saved. But here's what he teaches us. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and here is where the crux of the problem is. You do well when you believe. Good job. I feel like Paul may be getting a little sarcastic with people right now. Oh, you believe God's real? Good job. Because even the demons believe that. Now, how would you feel if you were in a room full of people right now and James just just compared you to a demon? Oh, you believe? Good job. So does the demon. Like that would, I'd be like, well, wait a minute. I don't want to be like that. What else? What is there further? What is more that I need to be doing to really prove I got faith? And that's the problem. That's where we're at in life is that we're living much like these people under a rule and a reign and a dominion that is not godly at all. And yet we're wondering, okay, how do I show the world my faith when faith is some of this immaterial substance out there in the ether? Like, yeah, we have faith. We have faith. But when you read this word and then you co- you, you, you connect it to this idea that people called the walk of Christianity the faith, the faith, then we understand that there has to be more than just simple belief and simple trust and even simple obedience. There has to be an allegiance, something, a deeper step here. And so what we come to is this. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. And so what I want to talk about today, and we're going to get into a story here in just a second. Go to the next slide. That faith is not complete without allegiance. Faith is not complete without allegiance. That you cannot actually live a life of saving faith without this allegiance part where you bow your knee and you say, everything in the way that I used to live is not the way that I'm going to live moving forward because I fall underneath your kingship now. I I was living under what the Bible calls the prince of the air. I was under his rule. I was under the bondage of slavery into sin. But now there's another king that I am walking in and saying, I, I want to be, be a citizen of heaven. I want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Well, with that comes a denouncing of where you came from and allegiance to who he is. Right? And this is kind of hard because this is a lesson that I'm trying to learn myself is that, Danny, you can stand up here and preach and teach and have faith and, and believe and trust, but does your life show forth a life that is faithful, right? Because that's the word we look at, faithful. I'm faithful. Well, what does that mean in a marriage context? Like what context? When you say I'm a faithful spouse, that doesn't mean that sometimes you believe that you have a wife. 
Maybe even you trust that you have a wife. But that word faithful in a marriage, I just done Allie and Andrew's wedding. And in the vows, it says that I, till death do us part, sickness and health, all richer or poorer, all of the, from scale, end of scale to end of scale, my faithfulness will be with you. My allegiance is with you. And I don't say the word faith as in that I have a good hope that we're going to make it. No, I'm saying that till the day I die, you're the one that I'm going to be with. I'm forsaking all others for you. And do we realize that when we come into a covenantal agreement with Jesus, that that's exactly what we're saying? That I'm forsaking all, by saying yes to Jesus, you say no to everything in the world. Some of y'all didn't like that, did you? Some of y'all are like, but I like some of the stuff. Well, that's, I understand that. Because even the Bible says, my dad's taught me a long time, even the Bible says that there is pleasure in sin for a season. It's fun. It can even feel good. But the Bible continues, and that's what some of us need to do, keep reading a little bit longer. The Bible continues and says, but the wages of sin, oh, oh, death. I don't want to be a citizen of that kingdom where my life just leads to death. I want to be a citizen of a kingdom where my life leads to life eternal. And that means, hey, Danny, you can't just believe. You can't just trust. You can't just simply obey. You have to faithfully pledge your fealty, faithfulness, loyalty to him. And faithfulness is not tested or is not proven, sorry, until it is tested. Faithfulness is not proven until it is tested. If I got married to my wife and we lived on an island and it was just me and her, that's all we knew was just her and me, my faithfulness to her would not be tested. It wouldn't even be tempted, really. I had nobody else around. But unfortunately, we live in a world where there's a bunch of people around. There's a bunch of stuff around. And there's a lot of things that can take and deter my faithfulness to my wife. A lot of things. People, movies, websites, magazines, all this stuff can take your faithfulness away from your wife. And here's what you need to understand. Part-time faithfulness is not faithfulness at all. Partial allegiance is no allegiance at all. And so when you realize that and you put that and apply that to your spiritual life, ask yourself a question. Are you really living a faithful life to Jesus? Or, or do you engage in things that are unfaithful? On a regular basis, maybe. But you're like, as long as I'm faithful to church, we're good. Right? As long as I'm faithful to church, we're good. But that's not what the Lord asked for. He didn't ask you to be faithful to church. He did, but that's not all he asked for. What's the Bible say about Jesus, about God? He is a jealous God. He doesn't want you to have any other, any other distractions, any other people that you're aligning yourself with. And I want to I quote this scripture in 1 Kings. He said, there was a time when they were like, let's prove whose God is God, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. They were like, Let's, my God's real. No, my God's real. And they're getting a little bit of a debate. 
And so he's like, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll go up on a mountain. We'll start praying. And whoever's God answers by fire, that'll be the God. Man, there was prophets of Baal galore up there praying for hours, days. Nothing. Nothing. And Elijah stands back and he goes, let me ask y'all a question. How long y'all going to stand between two opinions here? He says, how long are y'all going to stop and halt between two different options here? Either God be God or Baal be God. God said, you can't serve God and mammon at the same time. Let me put that in some layman's terms. Y'all like mammon. What is mammon? That means money, world, the, the king of the world. That's, that's what he's saying. You can't serve God and this world at the same time. Fresh water cannot come from the salt water spring. You understand what he's saying? It's either you're hot or you're cold. If you're lukewarm, I spit chat him out. He's saying you have to be all in, aligned with me, faithful to me, pledge your allegiance to me. Don't stand there and go, well, on Sunday, I'm aligned with Jesus and I'm faithful to him. Oh, on Friday, I'm out here in the world. I'm faithful to it. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm pledging my loyalty and my faithfulness to the world. And then on Sunday, I'll go back to being, and you're just doing this little number right here. And God's like, why are you halting between two opinions? Either God be God or Baal be God. Either God's going to be the king of your life or this world's going to be the king of your life. Either God's going to run your life or this world's going to run your life. You need to pick or choose because at the end of the day, if you don't, he will for you. Faith does not become saving faith until it is faith as allegiance. Simply believing Jesus is real, trusting that he's real, does not save your soul. Some of you are like, yes, it does. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And I'll show you. But let's look at this word allegiance for just a minute. I'm going to show you a story where three people showed extreme allegiance to Jesus. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Daniel chapter 3. But as you're turning there, go to the next slide. Romans chapter 3 says this. He said, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Now, when it says some were unfaithful, that's not talking about people who didn't believe. Y'all understand that, right? That's not saying when some don't believe, does that nullify God believing? That's not what he's talking about. It says if some people are unfaithful. If some people don't truly live a life that is loyal to me, does that mean that that nullifies God's loyalty? Because here's the thing about God. God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll go with you all the way to the end. That's some loyalty right there. That's some loyalty right there. That I ain't leaving you regardless. And he's like, well, what if some were unfaithful? And when we look at this word faith in the Greek, it's the word pistis. Go to the next slide, Caleb. This word pistis. And when I begin to look up, there's a, there's a software, if y'all, if some people like to really study the Bible. We got any Bible studiers in here? You really like to go a little deep in the word, maybe not just read it. There's a software called Logos. And um, you can look it up, you can download it. And it gives you all kinds of like Greek and, and context and all these things. And when I looked it up, it said this. It said this about this word pistis. It, it says, ranging in meaning right? It's much like this. Y'all know the word love that we have in the English dictionary that we say? It translates in many different ways in the Greek. You got eros, you got phileo, you have all of these other love words. I can't remember them all right now in my head, but there's like three or four, right? But we just say love. 
And it's like, well, no, that doesn't accurately describe it because I love cheeseburgers. But when I say I love cheeseburgers, it's not the same as me saying I love my wife. Like that, that's got to be a difference, right? Like there's got to be a difference. Grace is like, mm, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> I do love cheeseburgers. So. But there's a difference. But for us, we just translate it as love. So that's when, you know, when Jesus was asking Peter, he's like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He's asking him, he's getting him to try to understand that there's layers to this thing. But the same thing, but in opposite with this word pistis. Faithfulness, loyalty, um, trust, believe, all of these words in our language translate into one word in their language, pistis. But when you go to this passage that we're about to read, it lists this story as an example of faithful men to the Lord and his kingship in this scripture. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Daniel chapter 3. Go two slides, Caleb. Perfect. It says this, Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. So here's what we have. The Israelites are in, they are dispersed across the world right now. Some are living under Roman occupation. Some are living under different occupation. But in this, in this area, or Babylon occupation, sorry, in this area, they're under the King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, you know what? I'm going to make this big, huge golden image of me. Let me show you something about the world. You want to find out real quick if it's worldly or not? Does it point to me? If it does point to me, then it's of the world, right? Every type of, of temptation in the world is all about making me more, make me feel better, make me look better, make me sound better, all these things. So if it's me, be wary, Okay. And so this king says, I'm going to make an old golden image of me so that people can bow down. I always wondered, why in the world didn't he just stand on a platform and have him bow to him? Why didn't he just do that? Because his ego was so big. He's like, I want it to be better. Let's make it gold. Let's make it big. Because I, wanted to, I want it to be the best ever. And he didn't realize, no matter how much gold you put in something, no matter how much of this world you put in, it's not going to be any better or more glorifying than Jesus. You can't, you, can't, you can't gold yourself to a better place. You can't finance yourself to a better place. Jesus is always going to be head and shoulders above any type of image you try to put out there. All right? And so he says, let's do that, and we're going to play music, and we're going to get people to bow down to it. Every single one, even the children of Yahweh, the Israelites, bowed their knee to this golden image. Every one of them, every one of them, except three. Three people said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You can play your music. You can threaten to me. And finally, they did understand that if you didn't bow down and worship this image, you're going to be thrown into the fire. You're going to be thrown into the fire. They're like, we don't care. We don't care. Why? Watch this. So good. Next slide. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I'm telling you, if we could ever get a church full of people 
who do not bow down at every little thing that comes their way. Do not bow the knee to worship the world, worship things of the world. If we can find some Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednegoes. Now, some of y'all are like, man, this is Sunday school stuff. Sunday school stuff. Let me tell you something. Y'all need to, we all sometimes need to just go back and listen to some Bible school, Sunday school type stuff because we think we've gotten too smart and too mature for the simple lessons of the Bible. But we're getting ready to learn about three little boys who show the world how to live. They show the world how to live. While all their mommies, daddies, uncles, cousins, all the old people, elders of the tribe, all of them bowing. These three young boys said, mm, there's something else about this thing. This is so good. He said, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods, worship your golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, see, he didn't even give him a chance to answer, did he? He didn't even give him a chance to answer. He's like, is it true? I, before you, I'm going to give you one more shot. I'm going to give you one more shot. We're going to play all this music again, and I want you to bow in front of everybody. Well, see, now something had happened. Now he had brought them to the forefront and brought attention to the purpose from which they were standing. Now he had messed. See, this is what I'm going to tell you something about the world. They think that bringing Christianity to the forefront and calling us things that they're calling us nowadays, labeling us as crazy people, hey, they're doing a the wrong thing because they're bringing us into the spotlight. And if we could get the right people to take their stand, we might utilize what the enemy meant for the harm of the kingdom of God and capitalize on it and show them we ain't crazy. We're justified living this kind of life because we don't serve a God who is dead, but a God who is alive. And if it takes us pledging our allegiance to him and forsaking the the world, by gosh, that's what we're going to do. So this is what he did. They done brought attention to it now. He said, now if you're ready, when you hear all this stuff, fall down and worship the image that I've made. Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You see what he's saying? He's, this king is saying, who's more powerful than me? You see, because right now, this is what he's doing. And he paints such a good picture to him. Just like he does for you. This is what the king is saying in words. He's saying, I have your, hand, your life in my hands. I get to choose whether you live or die. And who's more powerful than me? If I can speak a word and you be dead, who, who, who should you trust more than me then? If you would just put your allegiance in me, if you would just bow the knee and pledge your life to me, then I won't even kill you. You'll get to live. And you'll get to continue to prosper in this life. Do you see how the world tries to do this? Look, I'm telling you, if you'll do this, you'll fit in with that crowd. And then that crowd will help you get to the success you want. You see, because it's not what you know, it's who you know. And so you got to really get to know the who's who. And that may require you to drink a little, smoke a little, party a little, sleep a little, all these things, do all these things. But just like, well, wait a minute, my Bible teaches me not to do those things. But if that's going to help me get ahead, then, hey, maybe I should. If you'll just bow your knee. See, it's the same thing the devil tried to do to Jesus. He said, hey, see all this stuff out here? Y'all remember that, right? In the wilderness, Jesus out there hanging out with the devil. He said, hey, look, Jesus, all this stuff, it's mine. I'll give it to you if you just bow before me. You see, he's trying to get God to give him his allegiance. 
because the devil wouldn't give him his. You see, the, the devil wouldn't bow his knee. He tried to ascend even higher. And so now he's like, all right, I got you now. You're in my world. See, he thought Jesus being in flesh and blood put him in his world. He's like, ha, now you're in my world. Now let me show you what I can do for you. I couldn't do it up there because that's your kingdom. But down here, this is my kingdom. And Jesus said, now, wait a second. Now, I've let you roam around here, but don't get it twisted like this is yours. This is still mine. I still own you. You still do as I do. And I would love for him to be like, do you remember Job? You had to ask me if you could do something to people down here. Don't get it twisted, Satan. Some of y'all need to remind Satan not to get it twisted, that he can't offer you what he thinks he can offer you, that there is no hope outside of Jesus, that if he wants to paint a picture, that's all it is, is a picture. It doesn't come with any tangible evidence or any tangible prosperity for you. The only thing that will bring you what you need is bowing your knee to the King of Kings and saying that my life is your life and I will live and forsake all of this other stuff. Jesus said, this ain't yours. Don't tempt me. You see, y'all thought, see, mm, see, here's what y'all thought. Y'all thought when he was saying that to the devil, y'all thought that he was actually saying, don't tempt me to bow my knee. That's not what he was saying. He's saying, look, you're about to make me angry. All right. You saying and trying to present to me who I know the whole truth of the situation that you were up there and I kicked your scrawny hind end out and you only do what you do because I allow you to do it and now you're coming to me saying that you can give me something? Don't tempt me. Y'all been that person before, right? Your kid's doing something unruly and you're like, oh, don't you try me. You trying the wrong person, okay? Daddy is not playing today. I will wear you out, Okay. That's what the Lord was saying right there. He was not saying like, ooh, that sounds good. I'd like to have all that stuff, but don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. Please don't tempt me. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was reminding that devil, look, I threw you down once. I'll throw you down again. Don't tempt me. I didn't come here for you. See, that's what he was saying. Oh, he's saying, I didn't come here for you yet. But if you keep pushing me in this wilderness, see, I'm looking to put you to an open shame on the cross. I'm looking to put... I'm looking to take and make a public spectacle of you. But if you're going to push me in the wilderness, I'll put you down right here. And nobody will ever see it. But I'll be just as happy either way. So don't you tempt me. Some of y'all need to look Satan in the eye and say, don't you tempt me. Because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. And I have all the power and authority given to me to tread up on serpents and snakes and scorpions. I can walk through fire and not be burned. Come at me again. Tempt me again, Satan. Nothing you have is looking good to me. But what you are doing is about to push me in a corner and I'm about to come out fighting with faith. I'm about to come out fighting and put you down right. Some of y'all need to get real with Satan. Some of y'all try to play patty cake with him and hope everything, you know, you just keep him nice and he won't bother you. That ain't the way it works. You start playing patty cake with the devil, next thing you know, you're playing house with the devil. Some of y'all need to look at that dirty rat and scoundrel and say, hey, hey, you're tempting me and I'm about to put you in your place. You know what? You try to come at me with this temptation, ain't anything in me, I don't need, it's not looking good to me, but you're about to make me mad at you. You take this pornography and you, you shove it. 
You know what I'm saying? You take this addiction and you shove it because it ain't, it ain't what you're trying to tell me it is. I know it ain't what it is because I've lived in it sometimes and I know it ain't what it is. So you're trying to tell me it is what's going to make me happy? I'm going to take you out right now. I don't know why I'm feeling this all over me. Somebody needs to get a hold of what they got on the inside of them and understand that if you'll pledge your fealty to Jesus and live a life of righteousness, you can look that devil in the face and send him a flight. They say, they don't even pay attention to you. Some of y'all need to quit paying attention to the enemy. Stop giving him your ear. Stop giving him your ear. Don't even listen to him. Oh, you ain't worth nothing. You shut your mouth. I was created in the image of God. I will speak to you like the garbage you are, and I'm going to remind myself who I am. Don't you tell me I'm nothing. Oh, you're still bound by that. No, if it was for freedom that Christ set me free, you need to take off running. This is not your day today. You'll always be that way. No, because the Bible tells me that I was created new. Old things are passed away. Everything's become new. Try me again. This ain't the first test I've had, and I've failed a many, but I got the answers now. You know when I was in middle school? Y'all like, man, where's he going? That's fine. Follow me. When I was in middle school, I had to do this test over uh, uh, geography. It was a geography test. It was uh, name all the states and the capitals. You know, I thought I was pretty good. Well, I missed one. I missed one. And that is the one that I will always remember because I missed it on the first one. And it made me so mad. I was like, I got all of them right. But that one, I did. I got all of them right. I was pretty proud of that. I ain't going to lie. I was pretty happy. I got all the states and all the capitals. I was pretty excited. I was in sixth grade. Don't judge me, okay? It's something to get excited about. But I got all of them right, but one. And I was like, it made me angry because I'm like, if I had no, if I just got it right. And to this day, to this day, there's a bunch of them I don't remember. Like I, I, you could ask me them now and I'll probably get you about five or six of them. But I will remember the one that I missed. I will remember the one that I missed. St. Paul was the one that I missed. And I will never miss it again. You can ask me all of them. I'll miss all of them. But that one, I will never forget. And some of y'all need to take those times when you failed forgot, didn't respond right, and say, uh-uh, that was one time. You ain't going to do it again because I realized in the failure that it wasn't what you told me it was. You told me that if I did that, I'd feel better, but I actually felt dirty. You told me if I did that, that it would make me feel better. I could cope with things better, but no, actually, I feel worse. So don't come at me with that. Don't tempt me because that's not tempting me, but you're about to make me angry. Some of us need to get back. Some of us need to... Mm. Some of us need to be like these little, these little boys. We're going to read this. This is so good. And who is the God that will deliver you? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. See, this is so good. This is so good. They're standing in front of the king of Babylon. Get that with me. That'd be like, stand, and I don't even know what that's like. like. I guess you could say the president, but it is a lot different back then. Okay, the president of the, the United States is not going to order you to be killed because he doesn't like what you say to him. This dude was. This dude could. And these three little boys stood up and said this to them. We have no need to answer you. What? We, we don't even feel like we need to talk to you. We, you don't even deserve a response. Y'all ever had somebody say something so stupid? And you're like, I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. I'm not even going to talk to you. Dad's raising his hand. He worked with me all week last week. There was many of those moments. But the, these three boys said, I don't, we don't even need to answer you. 
We don't even need to answer you. We know what's about to come. I need to tell you. But this is what they said. We don't need to answer you in this manner. But they did. This is so good. They're like, you know what? We will, though. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. They're saying, we believe and we trust. Y'all see that? We believe he can and we trust that he's able. But there's more to this, right? And he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, remember, because we taught a couple weeks ago, faith is not a guarantee. Faith does not guarantee the outcome. Now, this story ends real good. We already know the ending, right? I don't, we could, you know, y'all know they come out, it's all good. But at the end of the day, had they not come out all good, they still stood for the right thing. And they were ultimately would have been delivered into the kingdom of God, right? That's all good. But here's what they said. They said, look, we believe and we trust that Jesus can. But if he doesn't, be it known to you. Man, they're so sarcastic. I just, man, they bold. Oh, king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. They're saying, look, look, we believe that God can. We trust that God can. But if he doesn't, our allegiance will not be shifted. The fire does not shift our allegiance. The fire does not change our loyalty. The fire does not change that my faithfulness is going to continue in him because I've already seen, God, God, like they, they've already seen some incredible things. They've already seen some incredible things. You're like, how? They got carried off into, into captivity. They've been in Babylon forever. They've been mistreated. No, these three were the three out of the entire kingdom that God allowed to be raised up to a place of ruler in this entire kingdom as Israelites. Daniel and these three men. If you go back to the beginning of this book, they held an entire competition. Bring all the strong men in. We're going to get some people on our side. Even the Israelites, let them come. And they didn't bow their knee then either because they tried to feed them things that their Yahweh told them not to. And they said, no, we will not do it that way. We're going to be aligned and faithful to Yahweh. And they grew and become stronger and wiser than all the men in the land. So they knew. I believe God and I trust God because God's already done something. But if God doesn't, I'm aligned with this king. My allegiance is with him. I will not bow and become your, your, your subject. Not happening. Now, I will work and I will be in this world and I will contribute to the society because as the this goes, the Bible teaches us that as the world around you prospers, you'll prosper. That's what he told the children when they went into exile. They said, we'll do that, but we will not bow. Our allegiance is still going to be to our king. Do you see how that works? We believe, we trust, but we have to be faithful in order to see God do the incredible. Simply believing and trusting does not usher in the movement of God. Being faithful to him is what ushers in the move of God in your life. If you're still waiting on God to move, I said this last week, look around and see if there's areas in your life that you aren't aligned with him, that you aren't living like the Bible teaches you to live. Y'all remember the first passage we read where it said that if a person has no cloak, but you tell them, go in peace, be warm? That's not talking about you clothing people is what makes you saved. What did the Bible say? That if a person is hungry, feed them. If a person has no coat, give them your coat and your cloak. Like those are simple ways of living in the kingdom. And God in this passage, or James in this passage, is teaching us that, hey, 
even, even if you go back to that, it's not just clothing people. It's being faithful to the rules and regulations of this kingdom. This kingdom operates in a completely different way than the world does. So you got to stay aligned with that. And yet here's three boys who showed the entire world how to live. Next slide. I wrote these down for you. I said them earlier, but I wrote them down for you so you can look. Partial loyalty is not loyalty at all. Periodic faithfulness is called unfaithfulness. Divided allegiance is no allegiance. When you stand there and you're like, I'll, I'll do this and I'll do that, you're not, you're not faithful to anyone. You're not faithful to him. And so here's where we're finishing up. Josh, you can come on up. We're going to wrap it up right here. So I, I postulated at the beginning that faith is not saving faith until it becomes allegiance. And I want to give you some scripture to show you this because I want you to go home and I want you to understand what I'm trying to tell you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we, we, we worked through Ephesians a little bit on Wednesdays. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And when you look at that word faith there, it is the word pistis. And it is the definition without allegiance. A life that is lived out of a false understanding that if I simply at a young age say, I believe in Jesus, that I at the end of my life will be saved regardless of how I live my life. That's not what the Bible teaches us. It's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us this. Matthew, two more slides, Caleb. Matthew chapter 24, verse 13 says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So what is saving faith? It's allegiance. It's saying, hey, I'm going to make it to the end and I'm going to live this way every day of my life. Even when it gets hard, even when my faithfulness is tested by the temptations of things around me, that I'm not just going to be like, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to live like I am under his kingship. Like I am going to be living as though I have pledged my fealty to the Lord of this world. Because I know that my faith in the beginning leads to a life of faithfulness throughout, which what is, is what leads me to salvation in the end. Same thing in Matthew chapter 10. Listen to this. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Like, look, you're going to encounter things that are going to make you want to jump ship. Anybody in here ever encountered anything like that yet? Has anybody encountered anything where you're like, you know what? It might be easier if I wasn't living for Jesus right now. You know, it would be a lot easier if I just gave in. You come up on uh, something that ain't yours, but no one's looking. It's like, it would be real easy to just take this and no one will know. I can just do this without anyone looking. And here's what I want to teach you also is that public allegiance and private allegiance, it's not either or, it's both and, right? Some of us have people in our life that we know love to be, they serve the Lord, but in a closet. They're like, yes, I, I, I serve God, but only in, 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 in areas where I feel safe enough to say that. But then we also got, but then when they get out in front of people, they, they live any way they want to. 
And then you got the flip side of that where you got a bunch of public Christians, but when no one's looking, they ain't living like it. Like, oh, everybody look at me. I'm, I'm preaching and I'm singing and I'm going to church, but when I go home and no one's watching, I, I go and do whatever I kind of want to do. We got some public allegiant Christians. We got some private allegiant Christians, but the Bible teaches us that you have to live both. You have to seek him in private and live for him in the public. You have to pursue him in your closet and you have to live for him in the world. That's the way it has to be done. Some of us are doing half of what we're supposed to do. But when the Bible says that those that endure to the end, those will be the ones saved. That's what he's saying. Those who remain faithful and loyal throughout all of it, those will be the ones who at the end of the day, hear me say, enter in. Now, good and faithful, 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 faithful servant. That good and loyal servant. He ain't bragging about how much you believed in him. That's not what that is. When he says enter in good and faithful, he's not saying, oh, you trusted me. You believed in me a lot. No, he's saying you lived for me. You were, you were loyal to my cause. You were allegiant. You, had, you, you lived a life that said, I'd give everything up for you. That's what he's saying. And so we've built to this moment that we believe in God, we trust in God, we obey God. Sometimes we get risky for God. But what about when we have things come against us and it pushes us to choose? Do I keep doing right or do I do what I think the world is teaching me to do to get better and more ahead? It has to be all-encompassing. All of this. See, we, we read about these people in Hebrews 11. We read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We read about Noah and Moses and Abraham and all this stuff. All of it was good. It all started with belief. Led them to trust. Led them to obedience. Led them to do things risky. But it ultimately led them to living a life that forsook the world and chose him. I'm done with the things of this world. Like, seriously, people, listen to me. You've got to get done with the things of the world. You've got to lay them down and get rid of them. Stop choosing them and stop thinking that I can do this and still be faithful. No, you can't. You can't. Young person, listen to me. I don't care how young you are. You can say, I'll get there later. No, get there now. Choose your allegiance now. The Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. When? Today, right now. Don't wait till you go through college and get the job and find the husband or the wife. No, pledge your allegiance now. And out of that allegiance will come the life that you're supposed to have. You won't have to missionary date. Or God forbid, missionary Mary. Like, I'm going to marry this person and then hopefully I can minister to him and get him on my side. That's not the way it works. Pledge your allegiance today. And say, I'm done just believing God exists because even the demons do that. I'm done trusting 
and having faith that he'll work it all out for my good and all that stuff, that that's where I stop. I'm done simply being obedient to these little things. Uh, you know, I'm moving past living a life sometimes on the edge and being risky for Jesus. Now I need to, to really put the capstone on this thing of faith and say, I'm going to live my life faithfully in line with the word of God. And I will not be tempted anymore by the things that I either used to do, think is best to do, the world says I should do. Nah, I'm going to be faithful to what he teaches me. So what we hear is faith does not become saving faith until it becomes allegiant faith. So let me ask you this question and we're going to be finished. Does your life, is your life a life that shows forth an allegiance to the cross? Do you live publicly for Jesus but privately live for yourself? Do you live privately for Jesus and then publicly for the world? Are there things that you secretly do that you know you shouldn't do and yet you wonder why this and this and this? I want this church, everyone in this church, to have a legacy of faith that far outlives your life. But at first must be preceded by a life that lives completely for Jesus. You can't have one without the other. You can't. Your testimony will not go past your life if your life is not lived for something beyond today. So I feel like, I feel like the Lord has told me that there's people in this room that are stuck in a, in first Kings, you're halted between two opinions. I'm going to say what Elijah said and I'm going to ask you to pray. Either let God be God or let Baal be God. One or the other. Choose your allegiance today. Choose what you're going to support, what you're going to stand for, what you're going to live for, what you're willing to die for. Let's pray. If that's you, if that's you and you're here today, I'm asking you, man, respond to this. Don't go home the same way. Don't do it. Get up and come up here. Lay it all at the altar. I heard a man tell me this past week. He said, man, an old man of God told me that we as Christians are really good about giving things away to the Lord, but we're really awful at letting them remain there. So I'm asking you today, lay them down and leave them. Just leave them. Get up and say, I bow my knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If that's you, would you respond this morning while we pray? The altars are open.
care if you've been in church your whole life. I don't care what you do. I don't care where you're at. But I know that the Lord is moving and there's more people here who need to completely surrender to his kingship today. Man, you can leave here with a new joy and a new expectation of what the future can be for you if you would just bow the knee, surrender everything. Father God, I ask right now that you would continue to move, please. You've been so faithful to continually reach for us, to continually move and speak and tell us, this is how. This is how I want you to live. This is, this is the way I want you to walk. This is the victory I want you to have. This is the life I want you to live. And you're so faithful to keep reaching. But God, help us to even in our unfaithfulness, make the step of faith to bow our knee this morning and say, God, I give you everything in my life. I want to be a citizen of your kingdom. I want to lay all these things down and live under your leadership. ask you to move in their hearts where they're at if they don't want to come up Father minister to them right now where they're at Thank you for these last few weeks that are teaching us, Father, how to live a life that long, long outlives our life, Father. Help us to continue in this moment. Help us to be submitted to you and your way. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen.